announcements. Going to be slightly different than um, in the past. So just to let you know, we won't be sending offering baskets around this morning. However, the offering baskets are at the back on either side. I really encourage you to keep um, the practice of giving as we give as an act of worship. And so you can give um, through the offering baskets, which are at the back there. And um, with this being a kind of difficult and uncertain time, if you do give regularly or want to give regularly to the church, I would encourage you to think about if you don't already do that by standing order, um, because this may be the last week that we uh, meet together here um, in this current format. And so if you do want to do that, I think there are standing order forms at the back on the information desk, but if uh, you want to get in contact with us even by email, we can um, point you in the right direction for all of that stuff. Um, in terms of announcements, um, tonight is on in Lurgan uh, at 6.30, but what's happening tomorrow is that, that we as uh, church leadership, elders and staff are meeting together to um, figure out what we're going to do, what kind of uh, services we're going to have over the next while, how best to um, meet together and how to serve the body best uh, as well. Obviously that will, what we do will change based on the advice that we get from the government too. But we will be uh, communicating, letting you know um, what we're doing, whether we'll be meeting again um, on a Sunday, whether any of our, our weekday meetings uh, and activities will be taking place over the next few weeks. So please keep an eye on the email. If you're not on the email uh, list, we send out an email once a week. So if you're not getting that, um, come and see me afterwards. And we'll make sure that you're on that and that those emails are going to come through. But we'll also be updating uh, things like Facebook as well, just with um, up-to-date information as we have it. And uh, I suppose that's all I can really say at the minute because things are changing uh, on a daily basis, you know. Um, so as I say, this uh, on Sunday night, things will be going ahead. But if you do go to things like Ignite and Grow, again, um, please uh, check social media and email because we'll be releasing information tomorrow as to what's going on with all of that stuff. Um, I suppose what hasn't changed is that uh, God loves us and that we are, are called as a church to love one another and to try and figure out how we best continue to do that given that circumstances are changing. And so I would encourage you to think in creative ways about what that might look like um, and, and not just to think about ourselves as much as we want to encourage and support everyone in our church body. How can we do that for um, people our neighbours uh, and people around us, maybe even the stranger as well. How can we love our communities really well? So that's one of the big questions we're going to be asking ourselves tomorrow when we meet to figure out some of this stuff. So if you have any ideas yourself, uh, feel free to come and give us a, a shout or, or have a chat or um, send us an email uh, as well about that kind of stuff. So I'm going to continue our sermon series on Acts. And um, I'm going to follow on from last week. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can follow along as well. We're going to be staying in Acts 16 uh, today. I'm going to be covering quite a lot of Acts 16, really looking at the story rather than going into um, depth on each individual verse. But I think that God will speak to us through this message this morning and through um, the scriptures as we look at people facing difficult times um, and how they dealt with it and how God was with them in that. So let's pray. Yes, God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you bring life 
and you speak to us through your word, that you're with us, God, that your word is living and active, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces right through to the heart. And I pray this morning that you would speak to us this morning, that you would calm us where we are stressed and anxious. God, that you would give us hope, you give us peace, you would speak clearly to us and in all the ways that we need to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So, last week, if you remember, we looked about how the gospel had spread um, out from Jerusalem, Judea, the Samaria, to places like Antioch, and then from there, um, a resource church was built, uh, something that we've looked at over the last few weeks. But then after that point, um, Paul has a vision a dream of a man from Macedonia and him and, and Timothy and Silas and a number of other people trying to figure out how they're going to get to Macedonia and what's going to happen when they get there. So I want to read um, from Acts 16, from verse 11. So you can follow on the screen if you want, and I'll try to pronounce all the names of the place as well. Uh, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman col colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira. I'm gonna go for Thyatira or something like that. But anyway, her name is Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited uh, us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house and she persuaded us. So we see that a movement of God starts with the heart of one person responding to the message of Jesus, and then a whole household comes to faith. And that household probably would have been made up of, of 30 or 40 people. Um, they, they probably uh, had a business or a trade that they worked um, together on. There would have been sort of the immediate family members, extended family members, um, servants, slaves, people that worked in their business, all these people kind of gathered together in this household. And so very often when we hear the term household of faith in Scripture, it's not talking about what we would consider to be um, a family of maybe, you know, a couple of adults, a couple of kids. It's nothing like that. It's a wider kind of um, group of people. And, and so even when, when churches started, when, when families came to faith, they ended up with, with, a, with an actual church just within the context of their wider household. And, and what's interesting about this as well is that it says that, that when she and her, the members of her family uh, or household were baptized, she invited them to her home. And so we had a baptism service here a few weeks ago, as I'm sure you remember. But what we see is that when people come to faith, they go from death to life, from darkness to light, that baptism is one of the things that they do almost immediately because they, their lives have been completely changed and transformed. And so um, the scriptural kind of model for that is very clear and something that we encourage. But when one family member comes to faith, we often see that the domino effect of people coming to faith. 
We've seen that in church time and time again, that when one family member comes to faith, it moves on right across um, families very quickly. And one of the reasons why that happens is that we see lives change, we see lives transform, we see something different in that person, we see something of Jesus, and it's a witness, people coming to faith. But Paul is, is just as interested, so Paul's interested in, in individuals coming to faith, but Paul is very strategic in, in what he does, and he's not just interested in individuals, he's interested in groups and households. Because what he wants to establish is a group of people that look like the kingdom of God on earth. And he wants them to be a witness to a watching world. And so one of the words that we use to describe that is the word archetype. An archetype means a very typical example of a certain person or thing. And so when Lydia and her household came to faith, in Philippi, what Paul would have been thinking is how these people relate to each other, how they love each other, how they connect and relationally, that's really important. We need to work on not just the individuals, but the corporate, the community, because this little community is going to become a witness to the goodness of God. When people look at that community, they're going to think, see the way those people treat each other, how they love each other, how they're there for each other, that is a witness to a watching world of the kingdom of God. And, and so that's what the word archetype means. And so very often when Paul is establishing churches and then when he's writing the letters, he's writing to churches, he's addressing issues in these churches, not just because he wants them to be healthy in themselves, which he does, but because he wants them to be a witness to a watching world. <clears throat> and so we get passages in different letters. I just picked this one as an example from Galatians where Paul is saying, look, you guys lived a certain way, had a certain life, but now you're called to live in a different way. You're called to treat each other in a different way. How you relate to each other, how you speak, what you think, how you communicate, these things are really important because you as a body are a witness to a watching world. And so he says, that, like this in Galatians 5, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. And you see that a lot of these things are things that, that not just one person is involved in, but they affect many people. It's a lot of this sin that he's pointing out, it's relational. It's stuff that probably must have been going on a bit in the church. He's saying, look, you need to move away from these things because um, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so very often in Paul's letters, we find this contrast between the, these are the things that you used to do and the way that you used to live, and here's the way you're to live now. Because it's so important that as you relate to each other, you are a witness to the goodness of God. And so the same would have been the case for this, this particular new church established in, um, in Philippi. And what is happening is that things are being transformed fundamentally. The environment is being transformed. And I love this word, terraforming. Okay, And it's primarily used in science fiction, which is maybe why I love it. Um, but what it means is to modify a planet's atmosphere, topography, and ecology to make it habitable 
uh, for life. And so the example here would be if you were to go to Mars and try and figure out how you would change that plant's atmosphere so that it became habitable for human beings. But what we need to realize is that, that God wants to come and change our atmosphere and the atmosphere of his church to make it habitable for heaven. He wants it to look like heaven. The church, we are being terraformed. The environment that we are in is being transformed so that the Holy Spirit will come and dwell and remain on us. And I think it's really important when we're thinking about the church is that when people walk in, as we have found over time through our doors, and they come in here and they say, what is different about here? The atmosphere is different in here. What is that? And it's the Holy Spirit. Because we want this environment to look like a, a, an expression of and an experience of God come and taking residence in us and amongst us. It's a terraforming. It's bringing heaven to earth. And so the establishment of churches was about creating that environment. And so uh, I was thinking, as I was writing this sermon, that the building which we've recently just vacated next door, that after the first time that we came and prayed together, the next day I was in the building, I was thinking I was waiting for an electrician, and a, a man walked through the door, just walked in randomly. I was the only person there, and um, he was drunk. But he stuck his head through the door and he says, what's going on in here? <clears throat> and I said, uh, oh, this is a church. And he goes, I, I know it is. Um, and he said, and what about you? Who are you? And I said, I'm the pastor. He says, yeah, I thought you were. He says, I can feel something in here. There's something in here in the room. And I said, well, that's the Spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit. And, and I've got a chance to witness and to share with him. And what we need to realize, and, and maybe not underestimate, is that, that we're building and creating a different environment, not just in how we treat each other, but the presence of the living God comes and resides in us and amongst us. And so particularly at this time, when we think about what's going on in the world, any environment that we are in as Christians, it's not just us who turn up. It's us and the Holy Spirit. And so that can bring change and transformation. It can change the atmosphere. So what about at this time when there's a lot of fear and apprehension that when Christians enter a room that the atmosphere starts to change because we bring a superior reality and a superior re presence into an inferior situation. We bring the presence of God. So where there's fear and apprehension, it's replaced by peace. It's replaced by a sense that God is with us. And that's what starts to happen when churches are established, and, and that's what was happening in this passage. But then things start to change. Things start to get messy. And so um, we'll read on in our passage here, and it says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money and her owners, for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of them, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed, that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. You know what's very interesting about this, this passage? Is that for a number of days, Paul doesn't deal with it. He probably was aware that 
things were going to change if he did. But you also notice that the demons knew the truth, that they were declaring this, this, these people are going to tell you about, about God, about Jesus. And so we have to be very careful and realize that the enemy is always at work and that not only does he spread lies, but he twists truth, that he wants to distort truth. And it's kind of a side point today, but I just want to make it um, just quickly and clearly about this. Is it in the, maybe even in these times, people are turning to other sources and other things to try and find hope and try and find peace. But the Bible is very clear that, that we are only to find that in God and in his word. Uh, and I'll give you an example. In Deuteronomy, it says, when you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, which is a pretty serious thing. But also, he practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who uh, is a medium or a spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord because of these same detestable practices. The Lord your God will drive out these nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. And when all heaven breaks out, all hell breaks loose. Let us be aware that we are in a battle. And so Paul doesn't overreact to this woman. But what happens is that the crowds start to overreact to what is going on. And we see that kingdoms clash and things, uh, broken things happen, that the enemy seeks to kill, to destroy, to distort. Let me read to you exactly what happened after that. <clears throat> when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful to us, Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When they received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. <clears throat> so the battle is going on. Paul and Silas are preaching the gospel. They cast out one demon and everything erupts to the point where they face hardship and oppression. They face beating, they face lies and accusations. We should not be surprised that that sort of thing happens when God's kingdom comes. I'll give you a little sort of basic example from our, our own lives, but years ago Debbie and I had some friends who were um, not Christians, but they were interested in, in things of faith, and eventually we got to the point where they, they wanted to come to church. And they wanted to come to church, and they said, can we go to your church? Which is obviously a great thing. So you're like, brilliant, fantastic. Um, We'll see you there on Sunday morning. Sunday morning comes, we are in church. Guess what? They're not. So after church, we rang them. And uh, their, uh, one of their kids had been sick and they couldn't get to church. And so we thought, you know what? We're in a bit of a battle here. Let's just pray their kids aren't going to be sick and they'll come along next week. So they said they would come along the next week. They were really keen. They wanted to come to church. We prayed that the children wouldn't get sick. We went to church. They didn't turn up. 
So it turned out that their kids weren't sick, that they'd get into the car to come to church, drove halfway to church, and were in a small car accident. So we thought, that's fine. No problem. Next week, we're going to pray their kids don't get sick, and they're not in any car accidents. And eventually, they got to church. But it did not surprise us. And then, by the way, they gave their lives to Jesus. And, and, and there's a big, long story after that. But <clears throat> we, it should not surprise us that we're in a spiritual battle. And right now, we need to realize that we're in a spiritual battle, that the enemy is having a field day out there in our society, that he's spreading rumor, that he's spreading accusation, that he is spreading fear as he tries to turn things and make things a mess. And so I want to just move on with this story a little bit. So Paul and Silas, they get, they get thrown in prison. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake at the foundations of the, and the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And so Paul, see if we go back a little bit in this story. And I'm going to have a little bit of fun here just to keep you all uh, listening and amused, okay? Does anybody know the game Dingbats? It's the worst game ever invented. <clears throat> I remember one of my sisters got it for Christmas and tried to make us play it. And she was about... 13, so I would have been 15. We just couldn't get them. So they're basically pictures, and you have to work out a phrase or a saying based on those pictures. But the ones in the dingbats were so hard that none of us could ever, and so we just got frustrated. So I've got an easy one for you, okay? I want you to participate. It's just a little bit of fun. What is that dingbat? What have we got? Trump card. Oh, yeah, Trump card. Okay, so it's Donald Trump and a playing card. Trump card. So let's just say I had a Trump card, and I was Paul and or Silas. And if we think about the story, you don't need to be looking at that. <coughs> um, <laughs> Let me just read this bit to you. When it was daylight, the magistrates, sorry, so just to, I'll cover the rest of the story and then we'll come back to this bit. But the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and trembled, found Paul, Paul and Silas there. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, uh, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of God to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jail with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, 
They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we were Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us? No, let them come and uh, themselves and escort us out. Where is the trump card in that story? Can't hear you. Roman citizens, right? So I don't get this in a way because I put myself in the situation and I go, here's what happens. So Paul and Silas are, are going along their business. They cast a demon out. There, a riot starts and they, they get beaten. Now, if I was, say, Silas, I would be looking at Paul as we're getting beaten. Just go, can we tell them yet? And Paul's going, no. Right, we're getting beaten here. No, no. I'd have my trump card in my pocket. I'm thinking, right, okay. And then we get in front of the magistrates, and then we get thrown into prison. I'd be like, Paul, any, any chance? Any chance? Like, you know, we can get out of this at any time. And Paul's like, no, no. The Holy Spirit says, no. Let's take this beating and get thrown in prison. And I, I find that fascinating. I find it fascinating that they never do that. So they take a beating, which they didn't know the outcome, whether that beating was going to continue and whether it would have meant that they lost their lives. They face false accusation. They get put in prison and they get chained in prison. And yet they don't use what they could have, which was their trump card to say, actually, um, we're Roman citizens. And they could have got out of it at any moment. And I've been thinking about that a lot. I've been thinking about how when we're in difficult circumstances that our reaction very often is, how do I get out of this? How, how do I get out? Oh, I can do this right now. And when I put myself in their situation, when facing an angry crowd, in those moments, am I listening to the Holy Spirit? Am I thinking, God, what way do you want me to go? Everything's going crazy around me here right now. Do I go with that? Or do you think, I can get out of this right now? I can run? Or am I listening to the Holy Spirit? And how do we actually do that? And so um, as I began to think about this, I began to think about another thing. I think I've got another, another little dingbat for you. Um, and this is harder, this one, OK? So don't, if you know what it is, don't shout out right away. But it's, gonna, it's deliberately harder. Does anybody have an idea what it might be? What's the first picture? Rope, that's right. What's the second picture? Somebody, I think somebody over here has got it. No, nearly. What's another word for cheating? No? OK. If I do that, does anybody know what it is? No boxing fans in the house? It is the rumble in the jungle. So what's this? I'm really disappointed now. I'm really, really disappointed. It's rope a dope. OK? OK? So the rumble, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, but that's why I give you an easy one to get you into it. You know, I thought you would, you would actually get into it. But um, 
probably one of the greatest, uh, I would say the greatest boxing spectacle of all time is uh, the Rumble in the Jungle, okay? Um, which happened on the 30th of October 1974. It is not the greatest boxing match of all time, but it is, uh, and in fact, probably Muhammad Ali has fought in better boxing matches in terms of pure boxing, but this is the greatest boxing spectacle of all time. But it happened in, in Zaire, which is now the Democratic um, Republic of Congo in 1974, which is well before I was born, by the way. Um, <clears throat> And it pitted an undefeated world champion, George Foreman, against the kind of uh, falling star of Muhammad Ali, who had been beaten a number of times and lost his world titles. And the problem that Muhammad Ali faced was that George Foreman was both stronger than him uh, and could hit harder than him. And so as, as the, the boxing match started, in the first round, Muhammad Ali came out and he hit George Foreman with everything that he had. And uh, it didn't really have much effect. So then in, in the second round, he changed uh, his style, and he started to step back, and he started to let George Foreman hit him. And he, he held his, his hands up over his face, and he moved towards the ropes. And so the phrase rope with dope comes from the fact that for uh, the next uh, number of rounds, George Foreman kind of used Muhammad Ali like a punching bag and punched him against the ropes. And Muhammad Ali bounced uh, uh, around the ropes, getting punched. And occasionally Ali would, would um, punch out with a jab and hit uh, Foreman in the face. Because Muhammad Ali knew that he couldn't fight George Foreman in the way that he'd fought other fighters, that he was going to lose. And so his tactic was to try and tire George Foreman out. And after the fifth round, um, he started, uh, Ali started to taunt Foreman. And so as he was being hit, he would say things like, you know, I was told you could punch George. I thought you were um, as, as strong as Joe Lewis. And in uh, the seventh round, and this is what George Foreman said, in the seventh round, he hit Ali hard on the jaw, and then he heard him whispering, is that all you've got, George? And then George Foreman realized that he, he was going to lose the fight. And so what happens in the eighth round is that Foreman, who had been hit by a number of Ali's jabs, becomes really, really tired, and then Ali moves from this position of defense to attack and knocks him down and knocks him out. And it probably took, people reckon, and even Foreman would say, it took George Foreman 20 years to recover psychologically from the damage that was done in, in, in that fight to him. And so um, there's, there's the rope-a-dope um, taking place, and there is what happened in the end. And so, why am I telling you this? Um, it made me think about this story. It made me think about Paul and Silas, who were getting beat up, who were taking a beating. Life was not working out well for them. They were in danger. Everything was going wrong. But something within them was whispering, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I am with you. I am with you. Trust in me. Now, the spiritual forces of darkness that had been roused when the demon had been cast out of this woman must have thought, this is brilliant, this is amazing. They'd whipped up the crowd, they'd got Paul and Silas beat up, and then they're thrown in prison. But when Paul and Silas were sitting in prison that evening, it says that they sang praises and they worshipped God. 
because they knew that the Holy Spirit was with them, but also they now had a captive audience. Every single person in the prison could hear them and did hear them worshiping and praising God. And in fact, when God sends us to the lost and to the broken, where are you going to find some of those people? In prison. And so they have a captive audience. And so the enemy reacted to them, but they did not react to the enemy in the way that the enemy would have expected. And I think there's great learning for us in that, is that how do we maneuver when the enemy thinks he has the upper hand? How do we react when everybody is running scared and when there is fear everywhere? And so what happens in our story is that Paul and Silas are in prison. They're worshiping and praising God. There's an earthquake. The jailer comes in. He's going to kill himself because he thinks that these prisoners that he was supposed to look after have all gone. But Paul says, no, take a look. Everyone's still here. It's all right. And so the tables turn in this moment. What the enemy had decided to do for bad was turned in a moment for good. And the jailer and his entire family come to faith. And the jailer obviously binds the wounds of, of Paul and Silas. And they go out. They're sent out because the, the authorities are probably just going to get rid of them anyway. But then they bring out, as I was talking about earlier, they bring the trump card out of their pocket and they go, actually, hang on. We are Roman citizens. You need to treat us with dignity and respect. They left that to the last moment because they realized that God's purposes were, were moving forward. And this desire of Paul and Silas to put themselves continually in the place of being guided by the Holy Spirit, no matter what's going on in their life's circumstances, reminds me of what Paul actually said. Um, and what, so I'll, I'll do that verse. Let's see. Yeah, I'll do this one first then. Um, I forgot about this one. In these difficult times, we need to be like Paul and Silas. We need to figure out how do you understand the times? And so this comes uh, when David was gathering together um, uh, groups of soldiers that said that from Issachar men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do joined um, David's army. And in these times, we need to understand and know what to do. And that involves listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit because it may cause us to do things that that we don't think seem to be the right way, the right way forward. We're maybe starting to reach for our trump card, thinking, I'm, I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to get away. And I'm not just talking about what's going on in our society and our culture, although it is relevant to that. But I'm talking in every aspect of life. We face situations, circumstances, decisions, almost on a daily basis. And we, um, we, we want to go a certain way at a natural level. But very often, God is calling us to go a different way because of his purposes. So how do we discern? How do we hear the voice of God in those moments? And it starts from a place. Uh, and Paul, when, when he had left Philippi, uh, and he was writing to them later on um, in his travels, he wrote back to this church that would have started Lydia's house and with the jailer and all those people. And he said in Philippians 1, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, um, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to, to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. 
but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so there has to be something about us, about the way that we consider our lives, that we don't just put our own comfort before everything else. So Paul and Silas, they worshiped, they prayed, they see lives changed and transformed, and then eventually they get to go and recover in, in Lydia's house. But my key point for today is, in whatever circumstance that we're facing, how do we respond to the voice and the person of the Holy Spirit? Will we respond well? Again, when Paul was writing to that same church, he wrote this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God will descend which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, to me, this follows a bit of an order, okay? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. We're to rejoice in Him, find our identity in Him, find our hope in Him, find our peace in Him. And when we get that right, then we get into this place of not being anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request towards God. And so we're given a pattern in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request towards God. Many of us have been praying, particularly about what's going on in our society at the minute, and we're continually presenting our request before God. And we're asking him to come and have uh, his dwelling in us and to bring peace to us. And you see, what happens is that, that when we present our request towards God, we're removing, if you like, the ownership of those things and we're placing them to God and we're saying, God, I need you. I need you to look at this. I need you to, to help me with this. I need you. I'm not holding this any longer and giving it over to you. And you see, the thing is that it's a bit of a, of a transaction that's going on in that scripture because when we give things over to God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guards our hearts and minds. We, it's a transaction. We give our request to God. We receive from him a peace. And that peace goes beyond our understanding. And, and Bill Johnson makes a really good point about this particular verse. And he says that to receive the peace we need to be willing to give up our desire to understand. And so many of us in life situations, we're just trying to understand, trying to figure out why did this happen? What's going on? We're struggling with the why. It's very hard when you're struggling with the why because you might not find the answer to that why to receive the peace. And so very often in life, we have to give up the why is this happening? Or why did this happen to me? We have to give that up in order to receive the peace that's going to transcend everything. It's going to guard our hearts and minds. And then Paul goes on to say to this church in Philippi that he's writing to, the one where all this stuff happened, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, 
whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace and the God of peace will be with you. So in these times, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What are you thinking about today? What were you thinking about yesterday and the day before and the day before that? I know what you were thinking about because we were all thinking about the same thing. What about this coronavirus? Right? And it's not that we shouldn't think about these things, but what is Paul saying to this church that he's writing to who know the, the price that he paid when he was with them, the difficulties that he went through? He's saying, think about these things. Let us renew our minds in the truth of God and who he is so that we will have peace. And it's not then that, that having peace that we're just going to sit and and not do anything, but it's from that place that we figure out the right way to go and what we should do. When God comes when he moves, when the church moves, other things get disrupted. The kingdom breaking in causes massive disruption. Spiritual powers are disrupted. The exploitation of the weak is challenged. Economic systems are changed. Oppression comes. Systems and authorities are changed and transformed. So what we have to do in these difficult trying times is ask God, what are you saying? Am I listening to you? Is my mind full of so much other stuff that I can't listen to you? Or maybe I need to start by renewing my mind in your truth. Because that's going to be my centering point. That's going to be your centering point over the next few weeks and over the next few months is centering ourselves on God and who he is and what he says. And then from that place, being able to navigate whatever circumstances we're going to face because we are all going to face difficult circumstances and different circumstances. But God has a way through all of this. That does not look like us continually responding to fear and continue responding to panic that is out there. The enemy is at work at the minute. He wants to spread panic and he wants to spread fear, but we as God's children want to bring the environment of heaven to earth. And we will learn to sidestep and figure out the right way to go in these times together. But yet, we all face and we all feel fear and uh, apprehension. And so I'd love, just as we're finishing, to pray about that. Um, and actually, could we all stand? And maybe this morning, God wants to equip you and anoint you with his presence to the point where it will overflow. You know, it says in, in John that when the woman at the well... Uh, came to faith. Jesus said, I will, I will um, give you water that you will not be thirsty again, and it will bubble up. It will spring out of you. It will pour out into eternal life. 
And so this woman who came to the well uh, in the heat of the day in fear and apprehension went back to the village that she was in and she bubbled out and she poured over with the love of God and the hope of eternity into the lives of the people in her town and revival broke out. And so we need God to do a work of change and transformation in us. But what we want is that it doesn't just stay in us, that it bubbles up, that it pours out, that atmospheres start to change, that, that the atmospheres that we are in are terraformed, transformed to start looking like the kingdom of heaven. And that our presence carries his presence. And that might be a little bit more tricky for us when we're supposed to be isolated from one another. But let's be wise. And let's use whatever medium, whatever um, things we have. Let's use the internet. Let's use all different forms of communication to carry the peace and the presence of God into every situation and circumstance that we're in. But we need it first. So let's pray for us and then pray that we can be a blessing to others. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus and that we have been born again, that we have been transformed. Because of that, we become acceptable resting places for the Holy Spirit. And so we say right now, come Holy Spirit. Let your peace descend upon us. Give us a revelation of yourself and of your goodness. May we become aware just at a deeper level of who you are. God, give us a revelation of yourself. We pray that your perfect love would come right now and cast out fear. And God, we give up, we bring before you our worries and our concerns, the things that are troubling us, the family members and relatives that we're worried about, God, we place him into your hands. God, will you carry the weight of our burdens? And will you give us in return a peace that goes beyond understanding? And I pray, God, that at this time your church would learn how it is to operate. God, you teach us to sidestep the enemy and his plans and his purposes. God, that we would be aware of how you are moving. Holy Spirit, show us the way that we are to go. Give us wisdom. Give us practical wisdom in this time. That we would not be foolhardy, but Lord, that we would still be bold. That we would be compassionate. That we would be generous with our time, with our money, with our stuff. And as we face difficult and unprecedented circumstances, God, we know that you are the only one who knows the right way through. And God, you love us and you're with us. And so we step forward with boldness and with confidence. And this week, in the different environments that we're in, we pray that we would carry your presence. God, that your presence would bubble up and spill over from us and into every environment that we are in, that people around us would encounter the kingdom of heaven come to earth. And God, in these times when people are thinking about life and mortality, when people maybe have to self-isolate and spend time alone, God, we pray for revival to break out. 
We pray for salvations. We pray for people who think and have time to think about what's really important in life, that they would turn to you in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would like prayer ministry, we are going to offer prayer ministry. You can come and stand at a distance or stand close, depending on what you feel comfortable with. But we, would, we don't want anybody to miss out from an opportunity for prayer ministry. Please pick up your children um, from our kids' ministries, and uh, you can hang around for a while and spend a bit of time. And as I was saying earlier, we will communicate as best we can about what's happening over the next couple of days and weeks as well. God bless you. Thank you.